And we're back with episode 21 of the Graphic Content Podcast. My name is Jim Mason, and I'm here alongside... Adam Messinger. Who had himself one hell of a time, it sounds. Adam, tell the kids where you've been last weekend. Well, I've been drinking with the podcast since the podcast just turned 21. We got shit-faced. <laughs> oh my God. You won't even believe it, man. Oh my God. That, that podcast, <laughs> he is way too social. You've actually gone there. Yeah. You know, that is like the oldest radio joke in the world, and you thought that was brand new. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like a fucking moron you're, now. You're an absolute failure. You're a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> Who of us wasn't a disappointment at 21, though? Uh... No, I got an early head start on that. I was a disappointment at 19. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, you, you had one hell of an experience this past weekend. I did. Tell us about Okay, so you went, I'm just going to say it out loud. You went to, there's controversy, as they would say across the pond. Is it pronounced ID10T Fest or Idiot Fest? Um, I still haven't figured that out. And you will hear... At least three to four different pronunciations um, throughout the podcast, uh, and the, and that's simply because uh, nobody knew. Nobody there knew. I mean, I thought it was Idiot Fest, and all they did was spill it, spell it in leet speak. So that's kind of how I was calling it. I <laughs> I kept so. Chris Hardwick put this on. Right, right. And there was a point in the weekend where I got to hear Chris Hardwick speak. Yeah. And never did he ever say the name of the festival. And I was like, you son of a bitch. Damn it! Because <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my cue I was taking from. Uh-huh. And nope. No. No. It, now, okay, so what... Okay, Chris Hardwick, I mean, you cannot... If you're walking down the streets of the internet, minding your own business... You, I'm using a real-world metaphor here in a second. So if you're walking the streets of the Internet, if there were streets on the Internet, you could not pass a, a single city virtual block without seeing a poster of Chris Hardwick, without hearing Chris Hardwick, without seeing Chris Hardwick. I mean, that dude is flipping everywhere. I was on Pornhub the other day, just Nerdist ads everywhere. Really? On Pornhub? No, no I'm messing they, with you. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> You know, I, I, I mean, there must be something wrong with me because I'm just not into porn, um, and, and we're just going to end that piece of the conversation yeah. right no, now. No, that was a meant for but a small joke. I, uh, I, that was good because I was really stunned. Like, <laughs> Wait a minute, the Nerdist is on Pornhub? What? No. <laughs> you know? no, but yeah, the Nerdist has their finger in about every type of entertainment you can imagine. Right. Uh, you know, they're... Uh, God, why am I blanking? Is it Lionsgate that owns I Nerdist? I honestly don't know. Well, they 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 are they own. There's like an ownership group that owns both Nerdist and Geek and Sundry. Oh, okay. So those two those two outlets mm-hmm. are joined at the hip now, and it seems like they've you know taken over Twitch, they've taken over YouTube, they've taken over the interwebs. All the tubes of the internets are now uh, t- you know jam full of Nerdist product and. And frankly, I mean, this is a guy who has done over 800 hours of podcasting. I mean, this guy is, I mean, the guy who really started the modern 
idea of what the podcast actually is. So, I mean, we owe a lot to him. What was it like seeing him speak or were, did you, what it's, was your general impression of the guy? Um, it's kind of weird because for a long time I was, I had this problem with his brand uh-huh. uh, just simply because I didn't like the, um, the mainstreaming uh, and capitalization Definitely the ca- I, what capi- I felt, and we mean capitalization, meaning monetization yes. of of the world of nerd, and, and it felt like uh, exposure, yeah, as opposed to like we're doing it to to yeah to monetize and right. off the exposure as opposed to a love of the product. Now, don't get us wrong. I mean, if anybody wants to help us monetize our podcast, I think you and I would basically be okay because we're doing this shit for free. Absolutely, right now. <laughs> but. Um, but, I mean, you know, I, I give Chris Hardwick a lot of credit because he was a guy who was on a certain trajectory, you know, stand-up comedy. He was a bit player in the first Jurassic Park movie. You know, he had done certain things, TVs, you know, little well, things here and there. And and the guy dropped it all so that he could live and, you know, off of what his passion is. And, honestly, that guy is just a geek down to his bones. Well, that's the thing. I've always liked his comedy, and that was even before The Nerdist got Seriously, started. I yes. remember uh, being in high school watching Hard and Firm uh, <laughs> on, on, t- yeah, on Comedy <laughs> yes, Central. I remember that. And being like, oh, yeah, this is cool. And then I kept seeing this Hardwick guy, and I'm like, you mean yeah. that one guy out of Hard and Firm? Yeah, no, and, that was the dude. So. Yeah, and, but the, the thing is, I... I can't. I can't say a bad thing about the guy because he's a. He seems like the most genuine person on the on the internet, if not the planet Earth. He, the thing is, um, so the one and, of, and we're not. And, and can I just say this yeah. real quick while you're formulating your thought? We're not just saying this because you got a free pass into <laughs> idiot. Oh, absolutely fest. not. You know, this is something. I mean, all you have to do is watch an hour of Talking Dead to realize just how nice of a guy this guy obviously is. Um. So one of my disappointments through the the festival, and it wasn't just mine, there was a, a couple comedy shows on Saturday, and they okay. had this thing called the Comedy Tent. Uh-huh. Now, they had, like a, they had a, a comedy tent, then they had a music space, like, for... And that the, was, like, the Shoreline Amphitheater right. uh, and, actually, actual stage. And then they had, like, a DJ tent where they were doing the... E- yeah, all EDM and everything. That was... That tent couldn't contain all the people. And there was more people in that than, I think, the actual concert thing. And then there was a comics tent, too, right? So there were, like, three big... Tents plus the Shoreline Amphitheater. Yeah. Okay. And so... So the comedy tent. So the comedy tent had... I I go in, like, the comics end of it's kind of died down. It's like, I'd say, like, six-ish, maybe. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe five-something. And so I'm walking, trying to find this comedy tent, since I've spent all day in the comics area. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm walking around, and I see this big line, and I was like, oh, I wonder what everybody's in line for. And I see, like, this Power Rangers thing that's set up. It's kind of like laser tag. Okay. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's that. So I'm walking, and this big line is just kind of weaving around, and and it looks like this crazy game of snake that somebody has (laughs) scored, you know, a thousand million billion, uh, infinite numbers on. Do you know that you just made the first old reference of your life right now? (laughs) That is not old, because I still have that game on my phone, (laughs) goddammit. That is not old. Nokia cell phones from 2002 are not old. That was 15 years ago, dude. 
Stop it. Stop it, Jim. One five. Welcome to my universe. (laughs) Like every other minute that I spend with you, I feel my knees disintegrate just a little bit more. But anyway. Yeah. So there's this giant line. Yeah. So I'm there. I I just skip the line. I, I find the comedy tent and I see everybody's in line for the comedy tent. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm press, maybe... I might get in just because I'm press. I don't know. Mainly, I'm just asking because I don't know what the fuck's going on. How do I get in here? Yeah, what the hell is this? So I ask, and and this lady's really kind, and she says, actually, we're having to give out tickets. And once we run out of tickets, then there's people who can get in, but you have to get in the line of people who don't have tickets. So as I'm I'm looking around... (laughs) And I see that this big snake-like line uh-huh. is the thing that's for the non-ticketed comedy tent stuff. Okay. And and at that point, I was just like, fuck it. I'm going home. I haven't eaten. Uh, food there was like circus prices times five. Yeah. So uh, you, I, remember, I remember texting. Yeah. You, you and I were texting, and you said that the burritos were 18 How can you enjoy? I mean, that's Chris Hardwick's thing. Enjoy yeah. your burrito. How can you enjoy an $18 burrito if you don't have a black card? Yeah. I'm sorry. Or it's, I could have gotten $15 nachos. Ooh, now that's pr- that's price. I don't even know. I mean, yeah. that, that's bullshit. Let's yeah. be honest. Um, the one thing I will say... Makes you appreciate local cons all the more, doesn't it? It does. Uh, um, the one thing they did have, and I had to do this, and I regretted it, but I had to. I spent seven fifty on a liter of water. <laughs> but oh, they had refill Christ. stations all around the park. Well, then then you got your money back. So that's kind of how I felt, yeah. Okay. Did you bring a sandwich? Uh, that was day two. That was day two. Okay. So I go home. I've had a great time. I've got to talk to comic creators. Uh, and and for those of you who don't who haven't read the title or the description, what we're doing is uh, I got to interview a bunch of people at the at yeah. Idiot Fest ID ID Ten T whatever. Yeah. Uh, one and these person. are these are actual creatives working in oh, the business. Yeah, I mean Mike he, Martz is a seasoned veteran. He's, Chris Burnham. Yes. Uh, who else? Matt Horick. Yes, I got to interview him. Uh, I spoke at length with. Uh, Brendan Fletcher. Oh, did you? Did you get that on tape? I didn't get a chance to, but... You're fired. Here's the thing. No, I'm no, not fired. No, you're not fi- You're about to tell me why I'm, you're yes, not fired. because uh, <laughs> he did talk to me about possibly setting up a uh, interview. Okay, I love you again. Well yeah. done, son. So, so I got to go... Yeah, I got to go and just bullshit with these people who are more accessible there than they ever were at a convention. Well, yeah, at a convention, there's a wall of, of humanity in front of you and anywhere you want to go, especially, you know, at the bigger cons. And that's what I liked about this, is that wall of humanity was so not there because everything was open air. So, well, let, let me ask you this. I mean, there was that one long line for this comedy thing that we got sidetracked for. What was yeah. it for again? The comedy tent? Yeah. Oh, it was, sorry, Chris Hardwick. You're right. Chris, so it was for Chris Hardwick's anyway, actual. So as I snake this story around yeah, yeah. like the comedy tent line. <laughs> I just realized we didn't finish that. I, yeah, I had to be jokey just, there for a second. So uh, Sorry, guys. Yeah. We're, it's been a long day. Yeah, tell um, me about it. <laughs> so anyway, the, the day two happens. Uh, I go in. I meet the person to get my press pass mm-hmm. uh, because day one, Phil Hester was very kind and let me in 
uh, and, and was able to get me in. Good to, dude. To the, uh, yeah, to the con. Now you've or to done, the fest. And, and you've met Phil through doing some comics journalism. Um, or just, Actually, just I being met, a pal of his I met shows. Phil through, uh, it was through Twitter. Okay. And it was through Hero Initiative work. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Wait, one was Hero Initiative. The other was uh, in support of Wilfredo Torres, who oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Was, was doing some fundraising for yep. some personal issues. Right. Um, so, and I, I just met Phil through that. Okay. And, uh, you know, he was extremely generous and... And uh, gave me the opportunity to get in on the first day. That's great. And uh, and the second day, I was able to go in as press. Uh huh. Um, and so it turns out the lady I talked to at the line the day before is yeah. the lady that gave me my press badge. Oh. So first thing I do is where do we get tickets? Where are the tickets? Yeah. Can I? You know? Can I? And she can goes. I have a ticket. Yeah. She <laughs> goes. How many do you need? I said two. Because I, uh, I had a friend there with me. Uh-huh. And, uh, this is on day two. Yeah, this is on day two. Okay. And, and so uh, him and I got to go into the comedy tent. Uh-huh. Uh, it, let's see. We, I, I hung around and BSed with the comics professionals, got some interviews, all that good stuff. Uh, bought some excellent, excellent, uh, you know, single issues that, you know, you could only get there, that type of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and got stuff signed. And so... As a matter of fact, just to, just to call this out real quick, um, you might have seen, you posted it on Instagram, the, uh, the, the signed book that you got for me. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I just want to thank you. So uh, we did an indie, our first indie spotlight way back in episode seven. Can you believe we're now like three times as many episodes into this thing now? Yep. Um, but I talked about that. I really enjoyed the sort of the action movie feel of this book that Andy Parks worked on with the Russo brothers from Captain America movies, Winter Soldier and uh, Civil War and soon to be Avengers Infinity War. Um, but they did this book together called See It Ad, and you got me a signed copy of that. So thank that. And you also picked up a copy of Jim Starlin's uh, Warlock stuff. Oh, yes. So, I mean, you've come a long way putting your hands on, on Jim Starlin material. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, as long as somebody enjoys it, hey, you know, there's, I, a, there's a crowd out there for everything. That's right. That's what's great about comics. There's, Absolutely. There's something for everybody. So... And anyway, so you got a couple of tickets, you and a friend, there yes. on day two. So I, I go into the comedy tent. Uh, I, I felt like an asshole because my friend's like, I got you a spot. And I'm over there doing an interview. And the show starts at 4.30. Oh, and wow. he saved me a seat at like 4. Yeah. And uh, so I'm getting there at like 4.26. And this lady, there's no line where the ticketed people are. Uh-huh. And this lady just goes, here, go. And it was, again, the same woman I talked to the night oh, before, wow. the same woman who gave me the ticket. Saw your press credential. Yeah, well, I had it. I, I, uh, it was a sticker, and I stuck it on my shoulder. Oh, okay. Well, and saw so, your press sticker. Yeah. That's the first time I've heard of a press sticker. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I liked it. Technically, I, it's a credential, but thanks for yeah. letting me know that it was a sticker, because yeah. next time I'll be like, well... I want my sticker. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's now on my wall. <laughs> uh, How about Instagramming that? We need to see oh, a picture I will, of that. Oh, I will. I okay. will. So anyway. So I get into the comedy tent. Uh-huh. I'm, it's standing room only. Yeah. Um, I'm in the VIP area because this lady is, awesome. I guess, my guardian angel of the yeah. fest. Um, 
So we get to see some great comics. There was a, a lady from uh, Modesto oh, really? who had been on At Midnight a ton. And, oh, wow. And uh, her name, oh, my God, I feel like an asshole because it's Marcella Arguello. I think that's it. Yeah. I, if I fuck that up, I'm so sorry. Hey, I feel like a dick. Hit us up at Graphic Podcast. That's our Twitter handle. And, and uh, tell yeah. us to fuck off. <laughs> or <laughs> tell us that you understand that sometimes we make mistakes. And hey, if you've got stuff to plug that's even vaguely comic book related or you just want to come on the show anyway, we'll have you on the show. Screw she, it. I've had my old friend Chris Weiler on the show. She had uh, she had a pretty good X-Men joke. That Did was, she? That was pretty great. Is she a member of the Nerd Tribe? Uh, by by proxy, because her she said her, her brother named her niece uh, Atara after Atari. That's so awesome. So, yeah. I love that name. Yeah. So if you're gonna make up a name, make up a name that's awesome like Atara. Yeah, yeah. That's a superhero's name. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So we're sitting there, right? We go through several comedians, and then out of nowhere, and I look on the schedule, uh-huh. Uh April Richardson, our host, in- introduces Chris Hardwick. Boom. He there comes, you go. He comes out on stage. Hey He's guys, how you doing? Pretty much. <laughs> He's fucking funny. Yeah. Um and he takes time in between all his comedy uh-huh. to apologize for the way the comedy tent was run. Really? Yes. What? To, uh, for d- the night before. Wait a minute. Okay, so let me see if I get this straight. The guy who runs or is ostensibly the head of the organization that is running the what is this thing. The, the face of the thing is run, who's, who's in charge of the show. And we we can call this a comic book convention to a certain point. Yes. Apologized for the way things were being run. Yes. At the show. Yep. That doesn't happen in our world. Exactly. They tell you pretty much, we got your money. Bye. <laughs> I it, mean, it was there uh, was just. I mean, I was just reading on Bleeding Cool about the half a million dollar class action settlement oh, with against, ECC. Uh, yeah, C. Emerald City Comic Con. Yeah how they started to pay their volunteers and how they grossly underpaid them and uh, that what a joke that had turned into being. And, you know, I mean, I I digress just because I I was thinking of that. I mean, that was, that was the previous owner because now it's owned by read pop expositions. Um, But the, the actual convention host apologized for the way something was being run. I mean, that's just, that's not something we see in the, the spheres that we operate in. Um, he won a lot of points with me on that I, one. Yeah. Because I mean, for, for a long time, I just want to be like, man, fuck these guys. They don't really like what we like, and they're just using it to expose it. And it's this <coughs> elite, Wizard World. This, it's this elitist nerd I'm bullshit. Sorry. If you like Wizard World, you're awesome, but I don't. Anyway. I, I'm in the same boat, Jim. Yeah. Um, so, but no, I'm with you on that. So that completely. was kind of, and, and you can't hate it. You can't hate a guy that's up there like, Hey, I'm sorry about how we fucked up in the comedy tent. It's going to be bigger next year. Thank you guys so, for supporting and, this so much. And that was that was the thing I was going to ask you. Are they going to do this thing next year? According to him, yeah. That is so dope. Which I'm so, I'm, and by the way, we were supposed, my wife and I, Amory, we were supposed to go with you. And some last-minute family and work stuff popped up. And especially the work stuff for me put me in a position where we could go for a minute and then... <laughs> 
we would have enough time to park, and then we would have to turn right around yeah. and and drive away. So next year we'll go together and and make it both halves of graphic content. And uh, damn, I it just sounds like a hell of a show. I I had. The comedy was hilarious. Yeah. As I said, Chris Hardwick, uh, he was great. He straight up told everybody, if you see me, take a picture with me. I mean, he could not have been more giving. Wow. Of wow. himself. And and you know what? I was like, man, if I were him, I'd try to make myself scarce. Yeah. Because it'd be like fucking the Beatles running around. No, I've heard only good things about this guy before. And uh, and I, I I can't say anything bad about him. And I the only thing I can complain about on the show was the food. Yeah. And like fucking. Again, you need a, a black card to afford, afford a burrito. But <laughs> if, if that's the worst you got. Yeah. Then you're doing pretty goddamn good. That's pretty cool. The, That's, the music, I I liked the music. Yeah. Um, I liked the way it was set up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I've felt conventions have been played out for a long time, and we're suffering from con fatigue. Right. And it's why I only attend like Stockton Con. Yeah. Or that. And that's it. Well, you know, at this point, you know, we also talked, I think it was either last episode or the episode before about transmedia, about how like the DC entertainment app, when it goes live, is going to have the live action Titan series. It's going to have season three of Young Justice and allegedly possibly other TV animated and even comic book content all available on a single delivery service. I think that Chris Hardwick might have hit the nail on the head with what the next stage and evolution of the pop culture festival is. I mean, we all remember the days. I mean, I'm sure you're 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 old enough to at least know the term Lollapalooza. Oh yeah. Okay, so I mean that I'm was a child with the '90s. There you go. So uh, this is transcending the music festival that we grew up with. I mean, even in the '90s, I was in my you know '20s. Well, okay, I was in my 30s. But the point that I'm trying to say is, is that the music festival needed to evolve. That's why there's not many music festivals going on. They're all smaller. They don't go on tour like they used to. Um, there's, there's still some out there that They're more that pop-ups, draw. like once-a-year Exa- pop-ups. They're once-a-year pop-ups. Um, you know, so music festivals are kind of, were, are kind of losing steam. Um, um, comedy tours... You know, there are no more, I mean, sure, there was the Kings of Comedy, there was the Hillbillies of Comedy, or the, the Redneck Comedy Tour. Yeah. You know, like, there were groups, I think there was, uh, all, there was like a tour group for basically every target demographic that was uh, uh, out there for comedy, but there have been no real hardcore comedy festivals except for, I think, the... Um, there's one out help, in the UK. There's Montreal. There's the Montreal Comedy uh, Expo or comedy comedy uh, show. Uh, there's uh, SF Sketch Fest. Uh, UK has something. So I think it's Edinburgh. I think it is too. I yeah. think it is Scotland. Um, and if you know, again, hit us up at Graphic Podcast. We'd love to know more because we like to laugh as well. Yeah, yeah. But um, to take these three vectors, these three sectors, I should actually say. And to put a point of con- bring them to a point of convergence that nerds love to laugh, that nerves that nerds love music, and of course nerds love comic books. I mean, the only thing they could have done extras is have a gaming tent. <laughs> you know, honestly, 
I, I mean, saw some Xbox gaming going down at some place. Yeah, I'm sure that there was a little bit of pop-up stuff, but I mean, maybe even next year, because they're doing this in the heart of Silicon Valley, that they can actually do something with either both electronic and analog, or at least try to bring the publishers down to to showcase their next wave stuff. Honestly, I think Oculus missed a uh, Oculus Rift missed uh-huh. an opportunity by having if they'd have had a display there. Yeah, I think that would it would have been a, a huge attraction. Yeah, but I bet. there was two different crowds, very distinct different crowds. I okay. noticed. Um, so there was the convention crowd that kind of knew the drill. The comic book convention yes, crowd? Okay. That came in and stayed till about six. Okay. And then there was the, I'm going to go party and do the nightlife bullshit. Oot, oot, yeah. Oot, oot, who oot, went to the EDM tent, which was, I, everybody I, I was so official. high on E that they were dancing <laughs> to the Macarena. I kid you not. That is something I Not witnessed. Words. Yes, Shut yes, up. I oh saw that. God. I saw that. That's fantastic. And I said, you have to be high on me <laughs> in order to just get a group of people to do that <laughs> oh in 2017. Uh, and there's fucking with their fidget spinners and fucking. Oh, don't get themselves. me started on fidget spinners. Those things are my fucking. No, he is going into his pocket for a fucking fidget spinner. I got this at the. They gave me one at the convention. Okay, as long as it was free. It was given. They is were. Is it branded? What uh, is it, it branded? It is Cosmic Fog. Oh, it's I, a vapor place. Oh fuck! So yeah, they this guy. I was interviewing Phil Hester, and he didn't even set it on Phil's booth. I'm sitting at an empty table next to Phil, and he just slides it while I'm interviewing. Like, yeah, you know, you want this. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> fucking, it's a free thing. Okay. Thanks, douchebag. Uh, <laughs> great. Now I've got a fidget spinner in my house. I'm sorry, <laughs> the Graphic Content Studios. So. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, now it sounds like this is a great experience. We want it to happen again. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm so there for they do it next and, year. And I just, I really want to give a shout out to our friends over at A12 Productions who uh, gave us the press credentials so that we could go. And I'm sorry that, that me and the wife, we couldn't go, but I'm really, really thankful for their sponsoring our little podcast and uh, giving us access to really some of the big names in the business. There's no way I could have afforded this. Uh, I just didn't have well, the budget. I think the tickets, I mean, just for the general admission seating for the amphitheater were something on the order of, what, is it 180 bucks? It was, it was 100 bucks for the whole day. I okay, think. so it was 100 bucks for the day, but I think it was 180 for the weekend. Okay. But, I mean, that's that's... That's a hard amount for people who are, you know, on a fixed income or just getting started like you are and stuff like that, you know. And, and hell, I mean, yeah, we could have afforded it, but, you know, it, it would kind of eat into I'm, our budget. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. People should save up for this. Yeah. Um, okay. I really enjoyed it. It's hard to say if I enjoyed it $200 worth. Right. Um no, I fucking enjoyed it two hundred dollars worth okay. because I think about it and I sold some stuff yeah. to ba- basically be able to pay for shit there. Yeah, and I spent about two hundred dollars on just creator shit over there. That's fucking awesome. And I, I'm sorry, that is just so great. And, and and I loved it. I mean, all the creators there were so kind and yeah. so friendly yeah. and so easy to to, to e- easy to bullshit with. I mean, in that kind of atmosphere, how can you not have a good time? And I'm sorry, I missed two of my favorite bands playing, Weezer and OK Go. I am just like, God damn it, they were both right there. Yeah, I saw, <laughs> I saw Animal Collective. I thought oh, they yeah, were great. Oh, yeah, they're great. They're great. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the fuck out of it, man. Yeah. I got to see Brian Posehn. 
Oh, yeah. He, the people that, okay. So you know that I work at a big warehouse yes. fulfillment type place. Everybody at work, and by everybody, I mean really our, our administrative assistant who kind of runs the office. And she says, I look just like that geologist that shows up on the Big Bang Theory all the time. Oh, God. And I'm like, you say I look like Brian Posehn? Uh, no. I, I mean, honest no. to God, the only reason she said that I look, and look, not Because you're tall that's and white. It. And white. And, and about as much hair. About, well, I think I have a little bit more than he does, but not for long. <laughs> just saying. But I'm like, fuck, that's the best that you could do. I remember back in the 90s, I was in a play. Yes, I used to do local theater. That's the level nerd that I am. And uh, somebody who was this real stoner in the chorus for this musical that I was in said, you know what, man? And I go, what, man? He goes, you look just like the lead singer of the Spin Doctors, but fat. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so that's a per, that's a hell of a compliment. I know. I mean, and that's a hell of a dated reference. Also, you've probably never gotten that again. No, never once, never <laughs> once. But people like to torture me, and you know what? I thought maybe I should own it. Here it is. People yeah. in my circle, feel free to bring it up again. Um, so, Adam, let's uh, stop going down memory lane and let's get into the guts of these interviews that we're talking about. So you talked to Aftershock Comics' Mike Martz. I did. Who was one, I mean, this guy had a storied career at both DC and Marvel. Um, he edited X-Men, I want to say it was during the Brubaker Carey era. I want to say, Part of it. Yep. And, and I fucking, I love that X-Men. That's my X-Men. Oh, uh, the, that's the, where I came in. What was it called? The Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar yes. Empire? And then the Extremists, which was Salvador oh, LaRocca's God. return. That was uh, so And then fucking awesome. Messiah Complex. Right? Uh, all that stuff. Uh, Supernovas, Mike Carey and Chris yep. Pachala. Yep. That was all great. Yep. Um, you know, and he did Batman too. Yeah, he and, he was uh, the, the 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 head editor in the uh, Bat Office, I mm-hmm. think. So yeah, it was a I I can't believe somebody of that caliber uh-huh. was able to 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 able to just yeah. Talk I'm trying to, to I'm trying I mean, to think. But Some, let's be yeah, honest, somebody we're, that we're, caliber we're, is willing to take their time. We're just a fun podcast. I mean, we're yeah. not doing this for a living. We're not sponsored by any of the nerd enterprises out there. And to, for him to take time to talk to somebody with exactly a, a, let's let's be kind to ourselves here. They teach us to be kind in therapy to ourselves. To 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 talk, spend the time to talk to us who are building an audience right now. Yes. That's fantastic. And Aftershock has some great work coming out. To me, they were the publisher to uh, to witness over there. They yeah. had the best booth, in yeah. my opinion, as far as all the comic publishers, uh, with Valiant in a, in a close second. Yep. Uh, the thing that puts them ahead of Valiant is the fact that they had uh, Gary Brown and Donnie Cates, who both do books over there. Oh, yeah. Phil Hester, who, who does a book over there. Yep. Um, and, you know, so they had some representation of their company. Right. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I felt like they, they have some, some of the best titles out there right now. Shipwrecked, which is Warren Ellis and Phil Hester. Right. Blood Bit Blister, which is Phil Hester writing, and Tony Harris. Phil Hester, who's a hell of a writer. Oh, he's so great. He, he, he's a guy who gets story. Absolutely. Um, 
And then uh, Jimmy's Bastards, I just read that. Oh, my God, the new Garth Ennis comic. Have you read that? I haven't read it yet. It's on my comicsology. I haven't read it yet. I'll put it this way. So I'm sitting (laughs) next to my folks yesterday, and I'm they're watching TV, and I'm reading a comic, and Uh I was like, oh, I'll read Jimmy's Bastards, whatever. I flipped to a page and I said, "Well, this isn't happening right next to my parents. That's that's not a thing that's happening." Put it back in the sleeve, pulled out a different comic. That's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, there and then Eleanor and the Egrets, my yep. my boy Sam Keith, with yep. him and John Layman, uh, you know, so they they have some excellent titles going and, on right now. And, and this is Mike Martz's company. I mean, he, he is, is he, the editor in chief. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I want to say Joe Pruitt. Is the uh, CCO okay? And then, but he has a financial stake in this. In this, Mike Martz. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is he's, he's the founder. He yeah. is the founder and co-owner of this thing. So you got a chance to talk to Mike Martz. Let me take a look at my list here. Now you talked to Matt Wilson for a little bit. Then you talked to a guy who I'm a big fan of, Chris Burnham. Yes, you know. So what that was, was such a fun, fun conversation. Uh, I was nervous during uh-huh. the first bit of it. And I didn't really have questions out, like, just well thought out. Yeah. I was like, you got to get over it, asshole. And so that's <laughs> when I jumped in right with Mike Martz. I said, hey, here's who I am. He didn't give a shit who I was right. in, in, like, a good way. Right. And, like, he's just like, yeah, somebody wants to talk to me about this. Let's go. Let's talk comics. Exactly. And so, so you know, I go in and we have a conversation that was fun and yeah. informative. and. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, I, I talked to Matt Wilson next because, you know, on, on the podcast, we love our colors, mm-hmm. colorists, however you want to pronounce it. Now, that was Matt Wilson that, that you was talked Matt after Wilson. Chris yes. Burnham? Yeah, uh, yes, he okay. did. Um, no, I think it was before Burnham. Okay. And it was, yeah, he talked about his, his projects, uh, coloring uh, The Wicked right. and Divine yep. and, and coloring uh, Thor right now yep. and Paper Girls and that kind of stuff. Talk about a diverse collection of books that he's doing. Yes. I mean... That is a separate palette for each single title. I and mean. he's he's great. Yeah. And, and I talked to him about how a colorist is a comic creator and how being a comic creator is not one thing. It really isn't. And colorists, we, we should do a whole episode on colorists because I think they don't get half the credit they actually yeah. deserve. Uh, you got Dave Barron writing a book right now who's yeah. a colorist. Um you know, there's there's a lot of people who who kind of wear the second hat of writer. Exactly. And they're, in my opinion, a lot of them are underrated talent. Well, I think if you if you know story, if you understand the the fundamentals of storytelling, mm-hmm. you can be a good writer. Um, you just can't be a good artist if you understand the fundamentals of what makes good art. You know, you have to have some kind of, of genetic predisposition towards it. I truly believe that gets honed through practice. But you must have some kind of inner fire talent. Um, I have tried to draw things before, and um, the Elephant Man looks prettier than the things that I tried to. Well, put if out. it's any consolation, I did a comic book. I wrote and drew. Yeah, and, and I think was, that's awesome that you wrote and drew a comic. But I, I mean, can't fucking draw, so that was kind of the point of the comic. Well, that's kind of cool. So, <laughs> so okay. I'm just saying, anybody can do it, Jim. So you can do it. Maybe I, I should. Maybe I should pull a John Byrne and do a Fumetti comic. What do oh, you think? Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> now, <laughs> segueing back to the interview <laughs> list. So, uh, so after, Burnham was after that. So Burnham was there. He it, was so much fun to interview. Yeah. Uh, I, 
I was by that time I was able to kind of loosen up. Yeah. And I and you know talking with Chris Burnham, we just shot the shit. Yeah. Talked Batman and talked. Uh, uh, he has a project that is eventually coming out uh, that has been unannounced. Okay. And he's taking his time to get it all in the can before they. Well, not all of it, the vast majority of it in the can before they. Uh, before they announce it. That's a rare treat now. It, it is. So, it is. He didn't tell me anything about it other than that. No, that's cool. So I, I'm excited I'm, to see I what that's I just love Chris be. Burnham's work, and I yeah. can't wait to see more. Um, now you talk to somebody, you also talk to somebody I'm not as familiar with, and that is Matt Horace. Horak. Horak, excuse me. I, I was looking through the wrong end of my... my uh, Bifocals? Per, yeah, it, it's just... <laughs> look down. Yeah, it's yeah. Matt Horak. And you know why it, it was misspelled? Is because of fucking Apple... Oh, oh, uh, we, we're blaming autocorrect on this? Yes. Okay. Yes, I Fair totally, enough. totally am. And there's the red lines. Okay, so so who's Matt Horick? Okay, Matt Horick is a, uh, he's the guy that took over uh, and filled the big shoes of Steve Dillon on Punisher. Oh. And. Uh, now I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he, he was such a fun guy to talk to. Yeah. He was one of the. Gosh, he was probably right up there with with top guys to bullshit with okay. over at the convention. Uh, him and I, it's funny, I didn't talk to him about it at the time, but he's based out of Akron, Ohio, and I grew up in Ohio. Yeah, that's right. So uh, it was kind of cool to, you know, see a guy from Ohio fucking drawing Punisher. That's great. And uh, and I ended up picking some, picking up some art from him. It was super affordable. Nice. And he did he did a hell of a Punisher. Uh, he he also is a musician. Okay. And he something had, you know a little bit about. Yes, he had this. Well, he delved into an area I had no clue about, and that was uh, he has a set of pedals that he produces. Oh. And that is the first time I don't. I'm I'm kind of dumb when it comes to that well, stuff. Well, you're a lo-fi guy. I mean, it, you're... Yeah, I you're... pick up the instrument and I play. I can barely tell you who made mine. Right. Um, I'm not like a, a, te- a, a gearhead like right. some of the... the mu- a lot of the musicians I know. Yeah. And so uh, I got to play a fretless bass and fuck with all the pedals there. That's fucking dope. And, <laughs> and it was cool. There was a guitar next to it. Um, uh-huh. You know, they had headphones there that you could you pop it in and, and fuck with all the pedals. How fucking cool is that? Yeah. I mean, he's at a music festival. Yeah. He's at a comic book festival. He is a comic book guy and a music guy, so why shouldn't he bring his music exactly. shit with him? That yeah. is, that's cool for him to have those two lines going for him at yeah. the same time. And he had a book there that he made with his buddies over at, gosh, Earthquake Div- I feel I'm fucking this up here. I'll, uh, but he had his buddies over there. Yeah, they all made a comic uh, together. Uh huh. And it and was, you're going it's into Earth, yeah, it's Earthqu- Earthquaker devices. Okay. Um. So yeah, they had a comic called Octoskull. I love the title already. And and it's all based around the pedals and the names of the pedals. No shit. Yeah. So okay. I uh, I haven't got to read it yet. Okay. Um. It's in my stack and it's very close to the top right now with what I've been able to rip through. Okay. Um. And his art is just, it's, it's amazing. Well, I, I remember really liking it, and obviously he had giant shoes to fill on Punisher. So That's brought up. Yeah, so I, I can't wait to listen to that interview. And then you wrap things up with the man himself, Phil Hester. <sighs> I so mean, much fun. Yeah. So talk about sitting under the learning tree yeah. of not just how to be a great storyteller, right. but how to be a great fucking human. Yeah. That man is one of the most generous people I've seen. 
uh, especially at the convention. He had time for everyone. That's so great. And uh, to meet a creator of that caliber, yeah, uh, who has that little ego, yeah, um, it definitely inspires me to be a better person. Well, there you go. I cannot wait to listen to this. So, how about we not waste any more time? Uh, any final thoughts you want to give on this show? Uh, I'm sorry, everybody, for all the tan- tangents we went on. You know what? And thank the, you for the, making it over here. And, and, and hey, you know what? I just enjoy the conversation. It's fun. It's fun. And I wanted to learn more about it because we haven't had the chance to connect since no, you were we at the show. You know, just because my work life is absolutely bananas right now. But uh, we're it, saying it now. We're marking it off next year. As soon yeah. as they announce it, we're making sure that we're getting in. Whether We're both going. Yeah, it's, it's not a thing gonna, that's happening. We're not going to to overblow up our calendar with, with work stuff and family stuff and, and other people coming in from out of town stuff. We will both be there, and, and hopefully we'll be able to go with some of the other contributors to graphic content as yes. well. And uh, really make a show of force down there. And and hey, you know what? We really haven't said this before on the podcast, and, and we're going to get to the interviews here in just a second. But if you like the show, if you love what Adam and I are doing, or even if you just tolerate it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do us a favor. Tell somebody. If you are a fan of the show or you just like it, uh, and you know other people who dig comics and want to hear new voices in commenting about things that are going on in the industry, the films that are coming up that are connected to comics. We actually do talk a lot of comics as yes. well. Uh, put the show out there to your friends. Share the link. Share the love. And we promise to share the love back by, by trying to put out the best content we possibly can. So we've already pimped the Twitter, but hell, let's go for a third time here. At Graphic Podcast is our Twitter handle. If you want to hit us up, if you are a creator and you want to uh, come on our show or just would you know like us to, to look over your work and, and maybe talk about it in a segment going looking into the future or something like that, you can hit us up on our Gmail account. There are a couple people who have sent me things, mm-hmm. and I want you to know that those of you who have, I am reading them. Yep. I'm sorry I've taken so long to get back to you, but you will be talked to, hopefully, yes. on the show. Yes, absolutely. Adam is in charge of the reviews of, of submitted material and whatnot. Uh, so you can hit us up on email. Uh, our address is content at gmail.com. Uh, we have a ferocious Instagram presence, thanks to Mr. Messinger. Not so, it's, it's kind of been slow. It's, it's been slow, but you still do Midnighter Mondays for that's, crying out that's loud. That's true. I, okay, I do love so, the Midnighter And Midnighter Monday. is ferocious. He is. So you're ferocious, yes. dude. Just and own it. Yes. And it's it's Pride Month this month. So fucking it's Midnighter's Month. That's right. It's Midnighter Month. We should be doing Midnighter posts every day. Oh fuck. <laughs> oh fuck. That's a that's a hell of a challenge, sir. Now is, forgive me because I'm not I'm not aware, even though I am an ally of Pride. Is Pride the month of June or the month of July? It's the month of June. So we pretty much fucked that up, haven't Essentially, we? essentially. So, so we're going to put a couple more Midnighter pictures on and plan to do Midnighter 
an Apollo and LGBT heroes posted every day during Pride Month next year. How about that? That sounds good to me. Hey, well, let's make these plans in advance. What's funny is I didn't, like, I saw people posting, like, uh, the wedding out of Authority 30, whatever, uh-huh. with, uh, you know, Midnighter and Apollo getting married. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I like that. And uh-huh. it wasn't until, like, the next day. I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably there for Pride Month. Oh, yeah. How about that? <laughs> it's funny. Editorial looks at the calendar. Yeah. How about that? So... Tell you what, how about we get off the air, so as to speak, right now, and let's let the kids out there, uh, you're putting your finger... I got my patented one more thing. I swear to Christ, I got to learn you better. Uh, Well, what I want to do right now is I simply want to thank everybody. Okay. I want to thank you who are listening. Yes. I want to thank Chris Hardwick and everybody who volunteered over at... At uh, Idiot Fest or ID10T Fest, whatever you call it. Whether you're paid staff at A12 Productions or whether you were volunteer staff. Even if you fucking ran the food over there. I mean, seriously. And I have worked at comic book shows before as volunteer staff, and it is not an easy gig. And this was a whole nother level. Yeah. And so in Shoreline Amphitheater, Live Nation people... I just want to take a minute and tell you thank you for the excellent experience I had this weekend. Yes. And it wouldn't have been possible without you. Yep. Thank you for a new kind of show. Thanks for reinvigorating the idea of of, of a transmedia event, really. And we look forward to whatever the hell form this takes next year. I think it's going to be dope as fuck. I'm I am inclined to agree. Okay, so we're going to be there next year. We'll talk about it in advance. And uh, for now, we're going we're not going to sign off with our typical go read a comic. Be- and after you read a comic, listen to graphic content because you already know that. We're just going to sign off by saying, well, okay, I I kind of signed off by just saying what I just said right now, didn't I? I uh, did that. Yeah, you kind of did. I kind of, fuck. I'm getting old. Okay, so... We already established that at the beginning. So, anyway, <laughs> just... <laughs> just fucking enjoy it and God, listen. Yeah, just enjoy the show, okay? Adam did some great work, and uh, Adam, uh, I am pleased to present the five interviews you did for graphic content. Thanks. Yeah, sure. I'm not quite sure how it works. I think it just records through here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're listening to the graphic content, meanwhile, at Idiot Fest, also known as ID10 Fest, or ID10T. Uh, I'm with Mike Martz of Aftershock Comics. Uh, so Mike, you've got quite a few books out there right now. How do you manage having so many books with so much talent, not to mention the stuff that you have coming down the pipeline? Uh, I had a lot of good practice over the years. Um, I, yeah, I spent about 10 years at Marvel and 10 years at DC Comics, so yeah, I think coming up through the ranks at the two mainstream publishers really prepared me for starting my own company later on. Uh, at Marvel, I was the X-Men executive editor and also worked on Guardians of the Galaxy, so, and at DC Comics, I was the group editor of the Batman title, so I already had a lot of experience in managing a lot of different titles and a lot of different creators at the same time. Um, it's kind of the editor's job anyway, but you know, working on the big franchises, you really get used to working on bigger projects and bigger creators. So that kind of paved the way for me on what I would eventually do at Aftershock Comics. Um, and now, you know, it, it, it's weird to say, but almost like it, it's kind of like second nature. I just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm always cycling through 
a dozen different projects and uh, you know 30, 40 different creators on any given day. Now, what what was the thing that prompted you to not just decide that you want to work for creator-owned comics, but you wanted to start your own business and become financially invested in it? I think going back to you know my experience at the other two companies, I. Uh, yeah, I, I love working at both places, but I really got this uh, taste for developing a line of books, developing a uh, building a foundation that you could build upon. Uh, you know, did a lot of that in the Batman office, kind of building storylines and building a group of books. And I felt I could apply that to my own ideas uh, and collaborate with other people and kind of build something from that. So that that experience there gave birth to the notion that I could I could build a company and and really do the type of projects that I felt passionate about and work with the creators that I wanted to work with. Is there anybody so far that hasn't had the chance to pitch for Aftershock that you are uh, actively seeking? Well, it's tough to say actively seeking, but there's many creators out there who we, of course, would love to come and, and do work with us at Aftershock. A lot of them are people I've worked with before, uh, Rick Remender, Jeff Lemire, Brian Vaughn, uh, Scott Snyder, you know, all writers, uh, creators who, whose work I really respect and admire. I've loved working with them in the past. Uh, it'd be great to get reacquainted with them and work t- together with them again. Now, do you have any books lined up right now that you think will take the industry by storm? Uh, it's going to be hard to follow in the wake of Baby Teeth because it's been such a huge success for us. But I have to say that you know the two projects that we just announced for Cullen Bunn have the potential to really take the industry by storm. Uh, Unholy Grail, which comes out in July, and Dark Ark, which comes out in September, are two just fantastic concepts at their core that I feel readers are going to be able to relate to them immediately, and we have great artwork on both. Mirko Kolak is on Unholy Grail, and Wando is on Dark Ark. I think the great writing with the great artists and the great concepts, those two books have the potential to really soar high. Thank you very much for your time, Mike. I appreciate it. And you've been listening to the graphic content. Go read a comic. You're listening to the graphic content. Meanwhile, ID10T Fest. Uh, I'm here with Matt Wilson. You are a colorist on how many books right now? I have about six or so going on right now. Now, how do you juggle the the workload each month? Um... It's a lot less strict than you might think. I used to keep a really tight schedule on, uh, you know, mark everything on my calendar for years and years and years. And then I think I like just went a few weeks without doing it once and realized, oh, the the sky didn't fall. I'll just like wing it from now on. But I've just done it long enough that it's kind of like I always have a running tally in my head like, oh, I did that one. I did that issue a few weeks ago. That means the next one's coming up soon or, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Now, you're doing several creator-owned books. Um, what, how did you get involved with, like, Wicked and Divine, right. Paper Girls? Yeah, um, well, like, on Wicked and Divine specifically, like, I was involved with those guys long before I ever worked at Marvel or anything. Um, early on in, all, in my career and in theirs as well, we were all just coming up in comics, and 
um, you know, they needed a, a colorist that didn't cost a whole lot or maybe anything uh, when they were making <laughs> books, when they had no money and, and the books weren't selling and all that. Um, so we did projects together, you know, years and years and years ago. And then we all kind of got into Marvel around the same time or DC or wherever. And then, um, you know, worked uh, for the big two for a while and then uh, have now come back to create our own comics, like where we started um, to do The Wicked and the Divine. And then like uh, something like Paper Girls, it's just friend of a friend. Uh, I'm friends with someone who was friends with Cliff Chang. We uh, kind of got put together for Wonder Woman, and then after Wonder Woman ended, we went and did uh, Paper Girls. You know, so it's just these building relationships at conventions, meeting people that way, and um, and then doing some work with them and finding creators that you work well with uh, and that your styles gel. Uh, and it just, you know, when it clicks, everyone kind of knows it. And uh, and when you have a good creative like working relationship like that it's easy to just stay together because you know sometimes getting these comics made can be challenging you know even if it's just from a time constraint issue or um, you just want to be able to know like the collaborators you're working with are are going to do a good job are going to do the job and so once you build those relationships it's it kind of behooves everyone to like stick with it now how did you get involved with coloring specifically uh, I went to art school um, and the town where I graduated from art school, there was a colorist uh, named Lee Lowridge, who still colors, oh, yeah. uh, and he uh, had a coloring studio with, had a bunch of you know, people like scanning. At the time, we still got original pages shipped to us, and he had a big scanner. So we scanned pages for him and cleaned up like all the like, you know, uh, stray like little ink marks in the gutters and like the lettering was done on the art and so we had to like loop the lettering out for the, before he colored it a um, bunch of little like grunt work and then eventually like it was one of his assistants which uh, we call flatters they put in flat colors so the colorist can easily grab them and start working on them um, and then like I was saying in the other answer I just would go to conventions started meeting people and um did a little bit of coloring for Lee, and then started doing coloring outside of the studio for other people. And next thing you know, I was a colorist. So, now, do you have any? What are some of your career aspirations? I mean, you, you're coloring Thor. You're coloring right. some of the the best books in the industry. What do you feel like is the next step up, or is there? Um, a step I mean, up? in coloring, it's. I don't know if it, it's it's probably hard to um, to like relate a tangible step up because, like you said, like I'm doing you know, big books at Marvel, and I'm, I think what it is, 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 um, for me, is to find creative challenges, constantly find the next creative challenge, be it in coloring or outside of, I mean, currently, I'm, I'm content to continue coloring, um, you know, I still really love that job, and I still feel like there are things I can learn or get better at, uh, styles of coloring I can maybe incorporate into my own. So, you know, I'm not, there's no character I'm dying to color. I've most likely already colored them. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've been uh, fortunate enough to have like a few successful creator-owned books to be a part of. Um, so, you know, like I've got to experience a lot of that. Uh, so I'm pretty good, pretty set on all that, which sounds weird to like not have a goal to be working towards, but it's more, like I said, uh, intangible, um, you know, like, oh, here's a good example. A few months back, I don't know, it's probably longer than that. Uh, like, I got offered to color some Olivier Coipel on um, The Unworthy Thor. And I was like, oh, that'll be awesome. Like, I love his stuff, and I've never worked with it. I wonder how I would color that. So then, you know, I wasn't setting out to go get a book with him, but that when I was offered that, that became, you know, a, a goal. Can I successfully color his artwork or be happy with the job I do on his work? Cultivate, you know, a, a new creative relationship um, and, and, you know, learn from 
an artist like that because he's an amazing artist. And so those kinds of things aren't something I set, can set out on a calendar at the beginning of the year and hope to attain by the end of the year because the week before I was offered that job, I didn't know it was a job even available. So those kinds of things kind of crop up quickly and, and unexpectedly. Um, so I would say that falls at least under my definition of those career goals, but I don't know them, so I can't set them. Now, a lot of, a lot of creators are very much that, and it's not just one thing that they do. Uh, Dave Barron is colorist writing a book right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, Keith Champagne's a, an inker who's been writing books. I right. mean, yeah. is Nathan Fairburn's a colorist exactly. who wrote Lake of Fire. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything Joey out there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of yeah. people out there. Uh, do you feel like you have a story that you need to tell one day, whether yeah, it's through well, art or writing? Right. Maybe. I mean, I don't, not, maybe not need. Uh, like, I've been... Uh, I. Well, I write for myself as just a creative outlet. And so I have some outlines and some ideas. Uh, nothing I've ever even seriously considered pushing further than that. Um, but, you know, maybe one day I, I certainly talk to and am friends with enough writers and artists who are all doing that. And I, so I understand, like, the avenues you, you try to take to make those things happen. Um, so maybe one day I'll, I'll, instead of just thinking, like, this is a way to scratch a creative itch just as a fun little hobby, I might go, oh, you know what, maybe I should see if I can get this made. Um, but I have things outside of comics even that, uh, some photography and videography stuff that I mostly do just for fun again. But yeah, I, it's, I think being creative people, it's easy to have a lot of different interests. Um, and it just sometimes comes down to how much time do you have to explore them. You know, you spend 12 hours a day coloring comic book for however many days in a row, you know, I, for me personally, like I often don't have the energy <laughs> to uh, to maybe explore some of those other things right away. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've got some, like I said, some things kicking around in the head and some things written down on the computer, but nothing, nothing. I'm like dying to get out there or feel the desire to push. So, well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the graphic content. Uh, go read a comic, especially one colored by <laughs> our 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 guest here. Thank you very much. Thanks. You're listening to the graphic content. We're over at ID10T Fest, and I'm here with artist and writer and renaissance man, Chris Burnham. Hey, ID10T. Uh, good word pronouncing it, uh, I guess, correctly. Uh, everyone here calls it the Idiot Fest. I've heard both. I don't yeah. know what's the proper thing or not. I, I think the ID10T is the proper thing, but it looks like idiot to me. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I called it, so I was just like, it's both. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris, you've done you've done a few books yeah. in your life um, did you get started with Officer Down no I, I've been doing it for a while before Officer Down uh, Joe Casey and I did a graphic novel before that called Nixon's Palace about a parole officer for super villains that's the best comic ever and uh, even that I, I'd been at it for a while like I've done uh, a couple issues of Elf and Men before that uh, I've done work for Moonstone for a couple years before that so yeah that uh, yeah I've been at it for a while. Now, what was it that kept you going? I mean, working for Moonstone, you're not getting a whole lot of experience. 
exposure. They're a great company, but they're yeah. not widely published. Yeah. Um, and I know Image is a hit or miss on getting on the radar. Uh-huh. What kept you going and saying, no, I'm going to keep doing this and, until, obviously, you've hit Batman? Yeah. Uh, shit, I don't know. I mean, it's all I've ever wanted to do. I was, uh, I was determined to get better at I was, I was half determined, and the other half was I just didn't know what, what else to do other than keep trying. Like, uh, like you know... You know, once a year or so, it's like, fuck this, this is impossible. I don't know, sorry, kid, I'm swearing at two young children. Uh, but yeah, definitely it can uh, be pretty discouraging. It's just like, I, I, what, what am I going to do with my life? And I could never come up with anything else. It's just like, well, uh, all I can do is try twice as hard this year. And uh, eventually, uh, I was trying hard enough. Now, how did you get linked up to do uh, Batman? With Grant Morrison, because uh, uh, Grant is friends with Joe Casey, and they were screwed on uh, screwed on deadline for Batman and Robin 16. And uh, Grant said, uh, "Oh shit, Joe, who should we get?" And Joe said, "Oh, well, you like Officer Down? Get him to do it." Uh, so that's how that worked. And I you know, drew seven pages in the in the back of Batman and Robin 16, and. Uh, Grant liked those so much that he uh, said, "Oh, come back for a, you know a, an arc on Batman Inc. in the spring," and uh, DC offered me an exclusive contract. So I was, you know, drew Batman for the next two, three years, whatever. Now you did Batman Inc. and you even wrote an issue. Right. How did you? How did you have to? What was the challenge in fitting that in, especially around Grant Morrison's overall arcing story? Yeah, that was hard. So I, I wrote, I wrote a kind of, I mostly wrote slash semi co-wrote the zero issue, and that was uh, in the new Fifty Two. Like every book was getting a zero issue, and Grant just didn't want to do it. It's like that doesn't fit in with my plans. And so Mike March, the editor, was like, "Well, Chris, I know you do some writing. Like he read, I wrote a Fear Agent story and a couple other little things." And uh, he's like, I know you're up on all the, you know, Grant stuff. It's just going to take too long for anyone else to get up to speed on all of it. Do you want to write this thing? And he was like, just make it like Giant Size X-Men number one, but for Batman Inc. It's like, all right, sure. So uh, I just, I mean, I had all that stuff already in my head, so I just did it. <laughs> and, you know, Grant, I think... Uh, you know, the editors, uh, you know, suggested we add a scene, and Grant, you know, added a scene, and, uh, you know, I had to, you know, work out the spacing to fit that all in, and then uh, I wrote it, and then Grant did some dialogue tweaks at the end, but it was, uh, I don't know, it was, it was, it was interesting, you know, figuring out what hadn't actually been said, that, like, like, you know, writing stuff that was just, like, kind of assumed to have taken place uh, was pretty fun. So... You got to do a lot of the designs on the characters for like the whole Batman Inc. thing, correct? That's not. It's not really all that true, actually. Okay. Like, yeah, most of that stuff, like J.H. Williams uh, and uh, Frank Whiteley designed most of that stuff. So, uh, like, I redesigned Batman Japan, and uh, I designed like when that when the heretic rips off his tunic. Like, I designed that outfit, but. Uh, for the most part, all that stuff had already been done. Like, and I guess I designed what a goat boy or whatever that uh, goat assassin's name was. Uh, yeah, for the most part, most of that stuff had already been done. Now, you're going to get royalties for Bat Cow, correct? Uh, I, uh, not really. Bat, that was uh, Art and Franco created Bat Cow really? in, uh, in Tiny Titans. And also, anything with the name Bat in it, DC uh, determines to be a, uh, what is the word? 
I can't remember. I'm, I'm too uh, too drunk and tired to know what the word is. It's a derivative character. Anything with the name Bat in it is a, a deemed to be derivative, so DC owns it by default. So they also own Damien because he's the son of Batman and he's just another Robin. So uh, so I'm pretty sure Grant doesn't have like actual you know creator stake in Damien. Oh, as okay. I know, yeah. Okay. Although I would I would imagine you know they throw him a little bit of like you know. You have bonus money here and there, but like on a you know contractual basis, I'm pretty sure he doesn't uh, you know have any stake in it. Now, was Bacow was that your idea to bring that into modern continuity, or was that Grant's? Uh, that was Grant's idea, and I was like, all right. I, I, I thought people were gonna hate it. I was like, because uh, because it's such a like an anti-meat-eating issue. Like, oh, they're gonna think we're hippies. Like, we're gonna take so much shit for Batcow, but everyone loved it. And they, they loved Batcow so much that they didn't even mind how preachy we were being about how horrible <laughs> slaughterhouses are. And on, it's so weird because Grant and I both he was a vegetarian for a while, but he beat, he eats meat now, and so do I. But uh, that was all arduous comic to draw. Like, I spent weeks doing, you know, visual reference on uh, what slaughterhouses actually look like. Just like, how, how do those, like, you know, murder guns really work where you uh, kill cows? Like, all that stuff is uh, totally true. It's just a condensed version of it. But, like, just awful watching cows get killed and skinned, like, all day long to get that, you know, sequence right. Wow, that, that sounds like uh, not a fun day at the office. No, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> is there a character uh, in that Batman Inc. world that you would like to tell another story with? Uh, I would like to... I was actually offered a chance to write and draw a, a Batman Japan limited series after Batman Inc. was done. And I was so burned out at the time, I was like, ah, no thanks. And now I... Uh, I feel like I, I, I should have just taken a month to like chill out and then done that. Uh, you know, maybe next life. Well, you got it's it. You moved directly from that into the nameless. Yeah, I, I, did, I did a couple little things. Like I moved to LA and then I did uh, I did a Savage Dragon backup story and I did a short Judge Dredd story and I did some uh, some prints for Heavy Metal and I'm sure I did something else as well. But. Uh, but as far as like storytelling, yeah, as far as big like, projects. Yeah, big comics, yeah, I, I did go straight from Batman to Nameless, yeah. Now, what was the what was the biggest challenge in making Nameless? Man, I don't know. Doing it? <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was it's very uh, it's very uh, involved, uh, you know, uh, looping, you know, circular, uh, you know, confusing like nested layers of dream story, and just trying to, you know, coming up with a you know a visual conceit for that was tricky, and then also, you know, just no one, no one image particularly cared when it was going to come out. So it was just like holding my, you know, like keeping myself chained to the drawing table and like, you know, trying to, you know, keep a schedule for myself is also fairly hard. And then just like getting all, you know, figure out, figure out a way to put all Grant's impossible fourth dimensional ideas down onto a two dimensional page is, uh, is, is always a challenge and Nameless was really, really hard. Now, shifting gears, in a lot of your con profile pics, uh -huh. you're being peed on. Yeah. Is that, uh, is, are you going to keep that for as long as, like, you're getting peed on, or is uh -huh. that, like, the eternal stamp of your image? I don't know. I mean, he, my, my son is about a, a year and a half now. 
uh, at some point, like, and, and, like that, that picture was taken when he was like a week old. So at some point, that picture is going to become very outdated, and I don't know what I'm going to do uh, after that. And I also, like, at some point, I've got to hold it off so he can see that when he's an adult and be shocked by it. So at some point, I have to pull that back. And also, he, I mean, you know, elementary school is hard enough without people knowing you as the P kid. So at some point, I've got to, you know, pull that away. Thank you very much for your time, Chris. It's it's fun, and uh, keep us posted on all your new projects. Awesome. Thanks a lot. This is Adam Messinger, day two uh, at ID10 Fest, ID10T Fest, however you say it, Idiot Fest. Idiot Fest. I've been saying Idiot Fest. It, yeah. I, I like that better. Yeah. I'm uh, with Matt Horick. Hi. I got that right? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm really horrible at like pronouncing creators' last names until like three years later when yeah. I hear somebody else reference them who knows them. I made a point of uh, asking, uh, oh, come say hi, Donnie. <laughs> Donnie Cates. Donnie Cates is coming to say What's going hi. on here? Uh, I'm, this is the Graphic Content Podcast. Uh-huh. We're recording an interview. You're more than welcome to join in, Donnie. Yeah? This is Donnie Cates. Uh, or you can just say hi. Yeah. Hi. Whatever you want to do. Hi, I'm Donnie Cates. Bye, Baby Teeth and Redneck and God Country. <laughs> I was about to say, you do that little book called Baby Teeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, for, for Aftershock, right? Aftershock Comics, that's right. And they're $3.99, correct? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. How, <laughs> is that true? <laughs> what? You don't know the price of your stuff? No, man. I, I just, I You're like, I get scripts. paid for it. I turn Fuck in it. scripts, dude. I, you know what you get paid. <laughs> I know what I get paid. Yeah. $3.99. Yeah. <laughs> for every script. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go pee. All right. Have All right. fun. Thanks, Donnie. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? Fuck if I... We hadn't started. Just Donnie came up and yeah. started chatting with us. <laughs> um, we were talking about something, I think. Uh... Talk comics. Yeah. Talk comics. Yeah, yeah. What are you reading right now? Um, well, I just did another podcast where I did some recommendations, and I recommended Baby Teeth, of course. Oh, nice. Yeah. And um, Cancor. I just read some Cancor. Matthew Allison's Cancor. Okay. Yeah. It's really awesome, bizarre, really beautiful drawings. Um, I don't know. I can't remember what else I read. Oh, I just read um, Seconds. Brian Lee O'Malley's oh, yeah. uh, follow-up to. Um, Scott Pilgrim, which was good. It had it had some faults that maybe are inherent to uh, Brian Lee O'Malley in that happy endings, like they, they, no one has their cup up comeuppance for acting like an asshole. But uh, but it's it was good. It's beautiful. Really good comics too. Really good comic storytelling. And it was a good book. I mean, I flew through it. It was really awesome. But uh, you know, there's that little bit like, man, she just kind of got away with what what she did, <laughs> and nothing really got her. But uh, yeah. That was good. So, rumor has it you're drawing Punisher? I am. Yeah, I took over uh, in issue seven after Steve Dillon passed and uh, been drawing it since. Took uh, Chris Anka's drawing a fill-in on 13, which is a standalone story, and then I'm doing after that. And 14 and 15 are also standalone stories, so that's been fun. So what was it about Punisher that got you in in saying, I have to draw this? I mean, outside of the obvious <laughs> tragedy. Yeah. Uh, there was something that made you stick around, though. Yeah, yeah. What was it that, that got you to stick around past that one issue? Well, they said I could stick around. They liked what I did, so that was good. Well, when they gave me the job, they gave gave me seven and continuing on after that. But after I did my first initial run of three or four issues or whatever it was, they, they liked what I was doing, so they had me stay on, which was awesome. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely thought twice about taking the job because it was such a tough situation. But I like The Punisher. I always have liked The Punisher, read a lot of the books. Um, and uh, I... Uh, it was a good book already, so I wasn't coming on to a sinking ship or some bad, terrible thing that I didn't want any part of. And uh, the deadline was short because it was behind, so so I didn't have time to think about it. So it was just just do it, you know. And I, you know, I've always wanted to do Marvel comics, you know. I, I, I'd like to do my own thing, of course, you know. But uh, you know, Marvel Marvel pays good, and I grew up with those characters. So was so before Punisher. Did you have your own thing? Because a lot of guys self-publish before they come yeah. in. Yeah, I mean, I'd done some things like of my own that never really got off the ground, and and I had I actually was talking to Pete Craig Russell, who I'm friends with because he lives in Kent, Ohio. I live in Akron, which are right next to each other. And I was telling him how I was tired of doing superhero samples, were getting me nowhere, and like trying to work on my own thing from the ground floor was too daunting. I wasn't getting anything done. And he said, well, why don't you adapt something? Because he adapts operas and Oscar Wilde and, and things like and that. And Sandman. And Neil Gaiman, right. And uh, so I adapted an episode of Thundar the Barbarian. I watched it and transcribed it and did a mini-comic of it. And then I would take those to conventions and hand them out to everyone. And I gave one of those to Rob Liefeld, and he liked it. And uh, eventually he had me draw The Covenant from Image, which was his uh, sword and sorcery uh, Old Testament book. Uh, and then after that, I did... And I had I had done a bunch of, like, pitches with writers, like, you know, we both working for free trying to get, get a book picked up. So some of those were my own things that never really got anywhere. But then after Covenant, I did... Um, Octoskull, which is a tie-in to the uh, Earthquaker Devices guitar pedals. I work there and do the art for the pedals. And that work, I had already like established a relationship with Marvel, so that Octoskull was the stuff they really responded to, and, and I kind of knew they were going to offer me something. Did you write and draw Octoskull? I did, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, yeah, it's, it's based on the pedals. It basically takes their names and plugs them into this bizarre... Uh, sci-fi fantasy uh, horror show horror show now is it available is it one of those you can order through Diamond or are you uh, self-publishing no. it Di- Diamond didn't get it so they said no <laughs> and uh, but you can buy it on the Earthquaker Devices website you can buy a physical copy or you can read the entire thing there digitally okay and there's a soundtrack that you can listen to oh awesome it. yeah yeah so obviously music's a big influence. When you're drawing Punisher, do you have like a set list that you listen to? No, but I have some go-tos, you know, a lot of metal. I listen to a lot of metal anyway, so that works really well. And some sometimes some real like doomy, uh, just space music, dark ambient music is, is good too. But uh, you know, sometimes I just listen to uh, soca music, which is like super uh, upbeat uh, Island music from Trinidad and Tobago, all about butts. All about butts. All every song is about butts, pretty much. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's uh. Mm-hmm. Roll it, line it. <laughs> oh, blunts. No butts. Butts. Okay. Yeah. When you said roll it, no, I was like, roll, oh, I missed. Roll her. your waist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And wine, wine, winding. Okay. Yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah, I, I've been bugging Becky to send me a playlist of stuff that she writes Punisher to. That makes sense. I mean, her when she was doing demo, her and Brian Wood would have the whole playlist thing. Yeah, yeah. So I was wondering if, as a musician, that was something that had. Yeah, yeah. That well, that's like, the um, the soundtrack we did, like uh, at the shop at Earthquaker Devices. There's a ton of musicians working there, obviously. So uh, I had the idea to to um, to do the soundtrack to it. So I gave them like little prompts, and I gave everybody a little section, and. Uh, they just went with it and, and, and made uh, cool stuff to go along with it. Awesome. Yeah. So where can the people find you on the interwebs? Matt? Uh, Matt, my name will usually lead you to me, or my name in art, or my name in comics. But uh, I'm Matt Horak on Twitter and Horak Matt on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us, Matt. No problem. Thanks for uh, having me. This is Adam. Go read a comic. Go read Punisher. Yeah, yeah. And Octoskull. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you. Later. You're listening to the graphic content. Uh, this is Adam Messinger. I'm here with Phil Hester. Hi. Uh, Can so, you hear me? <laughs> hopefully. Over the beats? Hopefully. We got EDM going on in the background. We're at ID, ID10T Fest, Idiot Fest, whatever it's called. I was just called it Identity Fest. Identity but, Fest? Yeah. But everybody says they're different here. Okay. Every person you see here yeah. has a different way of handling it. Yeah. <laughs> Identity Fest, that's a fitting, a very fitting uh, description for the area we're at. Yes. Uh, so, Phil, you, you've been doing this comics thing for a little bit now. Yeah, about 30 years. <laughs> what has been, uh, what is, have you found to be most creatively fulfilling about working in comics? Uh, well, it was just like I was telling you and Creator that was just here at my table, just right before we started this podcast. There's so little barrier between your vision and getting it out there in the world. Like if you work in film or like traditional publishing or television, there's so many gatekeepers and so many money people that want to get in the way and like dictate how you tell your story. But in comics, if you're really like dedicated to it and you just want to put up a web strip or you want to do a small press thing, there's very little stopping you from doing that. And that's like one of the most beautiful things about comics. Is there... Is there a specific book for you where you realize, like, this is this is for me, this is what I want to do, mean, as far as creating it? As a creator, not a reader? Right. Um, like a project or something yeah, that you I, worked on? I was just happy, like, I was such a comics guy, I was just so happy to work in comics at all, that when I, when I got into comics, I didn't care what I was working on. I was just like, hey, I'm in comics, you know, like, whoopee. And I was working on some pretty bad stuff, but I didn't care, I was like 19. And um, when I was in my mid-twenties, I got Swamp Thing, and I was really, like, I felt like I had made it because I was drawing a, a character that I loved since I was little. But um, I, uh, I was starting to see all these other creators around me, like, tell stories that were really personal to them and, and, and have success with it. And I thought, man, I, and I saw Dave Sim give a keynote speech where he um, talked about, like, you know, you really need to, like, if you're not telling your story, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> I thought, yeah, you know, it's it's fun to do corporate comics, and, and it is fun. I, I do love it. But I'm really here to tell, like, stories that mean something to me and maybe uh, to other people when they see them. Um, so I really started to work on indie books then. 
Now, I will say that having done this for so long, I also know the stories that I thought didn't mean anything. Those also touch people. You know, I thought, oh, it's kind of a waste of time to do these corporate comics and I'm just a hired hand on. But it's not. Because those meant something to a lot of people. And, like, so, like... Uh, Green Arrow, which is a work for hire thing, an important work for hire thing in my career, um, was like, as corny as it sounds, it was life changing for some people. And that, like, I'm, as I get older, I start to appreciate that. So you mentioned Green Arrow. How did you end up working on Green Arrow and working with Kevin Smith? Yeah, um, well, Kevin had been a fan of my time on Swamp Thing, like just as a reader before he was Kevin, before he was quote unquote Kevin yeah. Smith. And um, when uh, when he was wanting to do Clerks, the Lost scene, uh, which was a, a scene that he wrote for Clerks but had to cut because it was too expensive to shoot. Um, he really wanted to do it as a comic, and he had a relationship with Oni and the editors there, and I had a relationship with Oni, and he knew my work from Swamp Thing, so he asked me to, to come in and do it. So we did that one shot together, and that was a fruitful, painless relationship. And so when he came over to DC to revive Green Arrow, he had, um, he really wanted to do it with Joe Casada. And about that time, Joe Casada got this other job running Marvel Comics. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was unavailable. And uh, and so Kevin just sort of moved down the list of comic book artists that he knew, and I was I was next. And uh, so he called, and he, he really fought for me to get it because, like, you know, I, I don't have a typical big two superhero style. I'm a little bit outside the mainstream. It's not so much anymore, but especially back then, I was like, everybody was trying to be Jim Lee, and I was trying to be like a cartoony Alex Joe Kirby hybrid kind of thing. When I first saw your stuff, I thought Bruce Tim. Right, exactly. So like, and that's exactly what Bruce Tim is. He's a he's a Joe Kirby hybrid, and um, and so uh, he had to fight for me to get on that book, and I'm glad he did. And it was very fruitful for us, and it was a, it was a big hit for DC. So you have been you. This is DC in the early 2000s. Yeah. You spent a lot of time over there uh, drawing. When was your when was your inclination that it's time for me to write? It's time for me to bring storytelling full circle, more or less. Yeah, I always I always saw writing and drawing as part of the same thing. I was that's all the same continuity, the same spectrum of storytelling. They're just sort of different points on that spectrum. So I was always writing my own stuff, even if it was just indie stuff like a caliber or if it was stuff that nobody ever saw. Uh, it's just that I was getting work at the Big Two as an artist first. But I was still always writing indie stuff. And it took me a while to sort of break through at Marvel and DC as well. I still haven't broken through at Marvel as a writer. But uh, in about 2010, um, I wound up writing Wonder Woman for about a year. And I, I think, like, there's a... It's, it's a funny dynamic now because there's a whole generation of of writers depending on when they came up I mean, as editors depending on when they came up what they see me as so like at a certain age they see me as an artist the young people see me as a, a writer you know so it's it's different so there's certain editors I'm a writer to them and certain ones I'm an artist to them with Wonder Woman that was there was some some shades of gray stepping into that position yeah. 
what was your feelings jumping in and, and taking the reins yeah. from, from JMS? It's a lot like, remember when I was talking about the beginning of my art career, where I was yeah. like, I'm just happy to be here, I'm, I'm wanted tackle this. And I was definitely uh, engaged with the idea that I got to work on this iconic character. Like, to me, that was an honor, and it was like a big deal to me. I took it, I took it seriously. I was I always joke with my, with my peers that I'm like... When an editor is looking for uh, a writer that will take ludicrous ideas or silly, you know, like throwaway concepts seriously, I'm the guy. Like, I don't think Wonder Woman's one of those. I think she's a big, iconic character. But like, I can take any any project put to me. I'll take it seriously. And I took Wonder Woman seriously. And Jameis left us very, very, very rudimentary framework of what he wanted to do. Oh wow! Like, I don't want to. I don't want to run him down in any way because I don't. I don't really fully know the way he, the circumstances under which he left. But we were left with. I, at least I was left with very little guidance. I knew. All I knew was that where he where he left the book. Was a mid was mid issue, and that by the end of the arc she had to fight a character called Nemesis. That's all we had. Wow! So, so you had a lot of creative freedom. Yeah, in this. I, I kind of turned it into like this retrospective of what Wonder Woman was and what she meant, no matter what version of her you were seeing. Because yeah, like we've all, we've all seen these different takes on Wonder Woman from like you know the white suited kung fu Wonder Woman to the JMS's pants Wonder Woman and. I wanted to do um, I wanted to do this sort of like past lives review for her where she got to see no matter what what the exterior trappings were she was still a sort of essence of nobility for the DC universe like no matter no matter like what odd universe she was in or what continuity she was subject to she was this through line of nobility and it was it worked out because we wound up leading right into Flashpoint, which is another reset. And I, I feel like my last issue, especially, was a comment on um, no matter what happens with these characters, like continuity's temporary with these characters, but they have a core to their character that is that's the essential truth about them. And I, I feel like we found that with one of So, with writing and drawing, is there I, well, switching gears to back to creator own, you have the wretch, right? Yes. When is that? I've seen on your Twitter, I've yeah. seen giant omnibus floating around. When is that coming out? Right. It'll be this fall. Um, it's, all it's waiting on is me to finish the new story that's going to go in it. And I keep making the story too long. It keeps growing on me. Uh, it was originally going to be like a six-pager, then an eight-pager. And right now it's 12. So I got to hold the line and finish it as 12-pager. Um, but uh, it'll be out this fall. And if you're interested in looking for it, search for Omaha Bound uh, that's the publisher and they're doing like a, a special pre-sale where you get to, you can get in on different tiers and there are different rewards to get in on it so and all the money from the well the majority of the money from this is going to you because it's your creator own project yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll be splitting with all my it's the best thing for me the most fun thing about the character was I was doing it in the middle of doing all my other work for higher stuff but I still wanted to do it so bad that I would I would get together with my other artists and writer friends and we would like jam on it. And so it was almost like 
was like you're be- like uh, you're in a wedding band on during the week, and on the weekend you get together with your prog rock friends, and you know like <laughs> you jam for five hours, and that was sort of what the Reg was. It was a chance to like really just do pure storytelling exercises, and um, I got to have my friends help me out on it. So if it does make money, we'll be splitting it among oh, okay. our buddies. Yeah. Well, that's great. It sounds like uh, that was a very fulfilling experience being able to sit down and work with your friends not everybody gets to do that no it was I, uh, it goes back to like when I was a kid and reading uh, Jim Stranko's history of comics and he was telling all these like um, stories about the golden age and how like uh, they, they banged out the first uh, Human Torch versus Submariner story in a hotel room with you know over a weekend and I thought oh that was so romantic to me I couldn't wait to do that and so it was fun to me to get together with my friends and do that uh, over stories that wound up seeing print. You have quite a bit of artwork on your table here. Is there anything artistically you feel like you haven't been able to achieve that you're still striving oh, for? Certainly, I don't. I I feel like I'm uh, I'm not a good artist yet. I mean, I feel like I've got so much to learn, uh, and it's it's the most exciting and the most intimidating thing about coming out to a convention like this is that. You see all these like young artists and all these old masters that do things that you can't do or do things in different ways that you do and you can learn so much if you're open to it you learn so much uh, but the tough thing is to absorb all that stuff but still still hang on to the core of what you do and um, but it's also the most exciting and invigorating stuff about this I think I, I Maybe one, maybe before I'll die, I'll do, I'll do a good comic book story. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's hard for me to hear because I, <laughs> I mean, I've really enjoyed your art throughout the years, and I'm just kind of thinking, here's this veteran, <laughs> but yet you're open to new things, and it's one of those things you never stop going to school. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, I feel like if you, uh, if you're not, if you don't feel it. There's certain guys that like peak in their uh, guys and gals that like peak in their 20s or 30s or whatever, and that always terrified me. That whole idea. I mean, it happens to a lot of people that have a ton of natural talent, and it's almost it's almost a curse. I'm glad I'm no, I don't have a ton of talent. I, I'm a good storyteller and I'm a good composer, but that's probably about it. And um, so there's still a lot of room for me to grow. And I, it, it's almost a scary fate to consider like being so talented that um, you don't find room to grow. But I've, I've been blessed to be a, a little bit less talented than some people. <laughs> so as a, as a writer, is there any story you feel like you haven't been able to... Uh, oh, is there, Are there characters that you're looking for that you haven't got a chance to tackle yet? Oh, yeah. Well, like I said earlier, I'll take any character seriously. You know, so... Uh, that's sort of a blessing and a curse because they, they can roll up on, you know, think of the, like, they could roll up on me with a Scrappy-Doo miniseries and I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to give you the Watchmen of Scrappy-Doo stories. <laughs> I'm going to go all out. Um, but uh, I, I have a big board of creator-owned ideas that I want to get to that uh, the other day I realized uh, when I was 26, this was like 30 properties long. And I've done some, taken some off the board, I added new ones, and I'm 50, and there's still 30 of them. You know? Oh wow! So, like I'm not going to live long enough to do all the stories I want to do. Um, but yeah, there's certainly definitely creator uh, creator own ideas, but there's also 
life, uh, corporate characters. I really, I loved to tackle Fantastic Four. Um, I think almost anybody would love to yeah. tackle Fantastic Four right now. Yeah. Uh, I love, uh, I love Doom Patrol. I love just, I, I love all the little bit odd uh, stuff. And uh, yeah, I'd love. Like I said, you can put any character in front of me, and, and I have a take on it. <laughs> so. Does this stuff come naturally, or do you have to spend a lot of time, like, just thinking of, well, what would I do with so-and-so? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, usually, like, even the ones where I, like, freak out, and like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? Like, somebody, it's like, if somebody came to me and said, you've got to write a Bucky story, like that takes place outside of, you know, that before he's Winter Soldier, I'd be like, oh, God, I don't know if I could do that. But then by the end of the day, I'd have a take, you know. I don't know if it comes naturally, but it does come from, like, having this sort of innate respect for those characters that I've had since I was a kid. Now, you said you have some creator-owned ideas. Are any of those currently that you can tease in production? Oh, yeah. Um, I have a... I have a kind of a science fiction horror thing going in Oni that, that it's taking so long to make they're not going to announce it until it's a little bit closer to being done. Um, I have a couple of things going on at Aftershock. Uh, one that I draw with Warren Ellis and one that I write with Tony Harris. Oh, okay. So, ship, was it Shipwreck? Shipwreck with Warren Ellis and Blood Blister with Tony Harris. Um, This is the worst part of this because when I start listing <laughs> off what I'm working on, I you got to figure out what's I not published. Something out, and I feel like a fool. Um, but I'm always, I'm always, I made a commitment kind of early in my career to always have a creator own thing going, as, as long as, as well as my corporate comic stuff. So I'm, I'm never, I'm always going to have one foot in each, in each. What got you linked up with Aftershock? I've known Joe Pruitt, who's the editor, well, the publisher there. Uh, I've known him since we were just young pups and working at Caliber Press. Uh, and in our early 20s, actually, working at Caliber. And we've always been looking for opportunities to collaborate together. And uh, he finally landed in the perfect situation to get Aftershock up and running. And... Um, uh, he asked me if I had some ideas that, like, other publishers didn't have the guts to do, and uh, that's how he wound up with Bloodbuster. Now, over at Image, you just, uh, you guys have Mythic right now, yeah. right? I just wrapped up the first arc of Mythic, and uh, I don't know if we'll get to a second one anytime soon, because it depends on John's availability, but, uh, yeah, that was a really fun experience to do with John, with John McRae over there. Do you have any other projects coming out from Image? Um... Yes, I'm, that's. I just remembered the thing I forgot. Okay, because it's to me it's so far in the future. I'm not even thinking about it yet. But I'm doing a book with Jeff Lemire uh, called Family Tree, uh, which is about um, a very strange apocalypse that befalls the human fa the human race. Uh, that turns out. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a plant. It's a plant-based apocalypse. And, uh, and not like that M. M. Night Shyamalan movie, though. No, right? no, no. Okay. It's not like that. <laughs> uh, but it, uh, it, like all, like all of Jeff's things, it's deeper than the surface. And it, like all of Jeff's things, it goes back to family. So that resonates to me because, like, pretty much every, even when I do a horror thing, it's it's still always a family story. So which. Uh, 
what am I trying to say? How long, is that going to be like a six issue series? Or? No, that's an ongoing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it'll it'll be my. Uh, I can write multiple things at a time, but I can only really draw one thing at a time. I'm learning. Uh, I'm not the guy, I'm not the guy that could draw like three books at a time yeah. like when I was a kid. So uh, it'll be my only like art assignment for probably the next three years. Now, what what books are you going to be writing if? If you're drawing that, and that's been that's kind of your focus, do you have any books announced right now that you're writing outside of Blood Blister? Uh, nothing that's announced. Okay. So yeah, I don't want to get out too far ahead of it. But there is stuff yeah, that I'm we should be. On. Yeah, okay. I'm always working. On. I have an unannounced DC project that I'm writing. Oh, excellent. And then, uh, like I said, that Oni book, and uh, I and I'm always pitching other stuff. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Phil. Thank you, Adam. It was a pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah, uh, this has been the graphic content. Uh, Sunday, Idiot Fest or Identity Fest. Identity or whatever. It's yeah. Chris Hardwick's jam. Yeah, yeah, Chris Hardwick's jam. Go read a comic, especially written or drawn or both by Phil Hester. Thanks so much.